Yes? Yeah, I'm registered in this class. What class? This is U.S. history. See the globe right there. Really? Hey. May I come in? Oh, please. I am the voice of Night Industry 2000's microprocessor. K-I-T-T for easy reference. A kit if you prefer. Bueller. Bueller. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. I'm not going to stand here and listen to this baloney. He won't know. He doesn't stand for baloney. And what's it going to do when Hulkamania and the largest arms in the world run wild on you? A lot of talk about this next song. Maybe, maybe too much talk. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? But it's only authentic if it says members only right here. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Oh, gnarly! Members only, Rubik's Cube. Electric Avenue, Fierro, The Fridge, Goose, Duran Duran, The Gipper, Cassette Tapes, Thundercats, Smurfs, Zantigo, Galaga, Knight Rider, VCR, Spicoli, Van Halen, Break Into Electric Boogaloo, Neo Maxi Zoom Dweeby. If we start speaking and saying these words to anyone that didn't grow up in the 80s, they would think we're speaking another language. This was our decade. Welcome to the first ever edition of my podcast, Living in the 80s. I'm glad you could make it, and thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Rob Fott, and each episode we will hop into the DeLorean and visit our favorite decade, the awesome 1980s. Nothing against the 50s, 60s, 70s, or even the 90s. But most of the people tuning in probably came of age in the 80s. We went to high school in the 80s, learned how to drive. It's where we first fell in love, and we first fell out of love. We have a unique perspective on life because it was our life. These are the days we look back on fondly. We still love the music, movies, and the fashion. Well, maybe not so much the fashion. Well, maybe some of you. (laughs) That could be the case. This is our life before we were forced to be adults and all the responsibilities that went along with it. So you see, we are not stuck in the 80s. Those were simply really great times, and that's why we like it there. So my friends, welcome back to the 1980s. This first episode is going to start off with the background of the podcast, and then we'll start talking about this week's first list. So you might be asking, why would you want to have a podcast dedicated solely to the 1980s? Give you the answer to that question, Mr. Bender, next Saturday. Until then, let's talk about why I'm doing this podcast in the first place. True story. A couple years ago, my wife Leah and I were on a road trip, and we were somewhere in New Mexico, and we were talking about hobbies and how I really don't have any outside of fantasy football. Now, I was perfectly content not having any hobbies, but because she is a problem solver at heart, she began asking me about my interests. Well, the one thing that I wanted to do since I was a teenager was to be a radio DJ. Like many things back in my younger years, I never followed through with it. 
So that dream, of course, was never realized. I did have a side hustle DJing, weddings, graduation parties, and a few corporate events back in the day, but it wasn't quite the same. I also, you know what, I take it back. I did have a good radio run. Worked with a couple of good friends, Jason Gleam and Chad Moore, and we had our own morning radio show on radio station WSYA. Full disclosure, it was a low-power station. We worked at church camp, but we were kind of a big deal. Back to our story. Through my conversation with Leo, we came up with the idea of having my own online 80s radio station. I could pull for my massive music collection and play music 24-7 on random rotation while putting together a two or three hour show once a week. I was pretty excited about doing this. Then I began to look into what it would take to pull this off and it costs a lot of money to pay for licensing to play music live. Who knew? Plus my friend Flounder already has Star 107.9 playing 80s music 24-7. So I threw in the towel on that idea and just let Flounder have at it. Fast forward to this year. Leah bought me this great microphone for Christmas and said, here, I want you to use this to do your own podcast. I decided my podcast was going to be an 80s theme. This was something I knew plenty about. I was a teenager in the 80s, which, by the way, was the most awesome time to be a teenager. I knew plenty about 80s music, movies, sports, and TV. I'm the one guy that you would phone a friend if you're ever on a game show, and the topic was worthless 80s trivia. Now I can sit and talk about it. Hopefully, a lot of like-minded people can reminisce about some of their favorite 80s moments and trivia. Maybe we even discover some cool music or movies we have never heard of. So how do we get to episode one of the podcast? Why do an 80s podcast in the first place? Where did the name come from? What in the heck are we going to talk about? And what kind of format are we working with? I chose to do an 80s podcast because, like I mentioned, I am pretty knowledgeable on the subject. I wanted to choose an area that I could share with lots of my friends and whoever wanted to join in on the fun. I did think about doing a faith-based podcast because I am unashamedly a born-again Christ follower, but there were so many podcasts out there done by some awesome Christian people that would do a much better job than I ever could. Plus, I'm a very non-confrontational person, so I really don't like having theological arguments and being stressed out about trying to prove God's existence. He exists. He loves me, and I love him. If you ever want to have that conversation, I would love to have that with you. Reach out to me. On with our show. So why an 80s podcast? Well, personally, I've searched podcasts myself that are 80s-based, and most of them are very specific, like talking just about movies or just TV or just music. Plus, nobody I know personally ever had their own 80s-themed podcast, so why not me? Where did the name come from? Well, I was going through a bunch of names and trying to find something that would be catchy and kind of fit. And uh, I've always made these 80s mix CDs. I call them like Greetings from Ron and Nancy or Fiero or Zantigo or Cardos or something like that. If you're actually searching podcasts, you saw names like that, you probably wouldn't really know what they were. So I figured I should go with something that tells actually what the the topic is. So I thought about this song I've always loved. It's by a band called Killing Joke. It's called 80s. And the lyrics say, 80s, I'm living in the 80s. Simple enough for me, that's what I'll call it. Oh, you've never heard that obscure little tune before? At the end of the podcast, yes, you have to stay to the end. I'll play it for you. So now that I had a theme, a name, and a sweet microphone, how would I get this project off the ground? First thing I did back in December 
was I created a private Facebook page. Then I created a banner, and over the next month, I started searching around for a good service to use to broadcast my podcast. I wasn't really getting anywhere, and then I rem- remembered some co-workers to have their own podcast called Know Your Cinema. So picture three chimps on a Davenport talking about movies. Devlin, Vivin, and Jason are good guys, good podcasts. You should check them out. So I'm talking to Jason at work one day and asked him what they used. They told me what they did. It was super easy, and next thing you know, look at this. We're in business. So after that, I made the Facebook page public and invited a bunch of friends who have since invited a bunch of friends, and within two days, there's over 200 people, part of our little community. So coming soon, we're going to have a web page as well, if you're interested. Now we have all the cool gadgets in place, and we've got our own Facebook page. We've got our own podcast. So what are we going to talk about? We'll talk about all the things that we all loved about the 80s. The music, the movies, TV shows, restaurants, commercials, sports, and trends. Think Trivial Pursuit, except we're going to throw out all the cards that have to do with politics and science. What kind of format are we going to have? That one's pretty easy. We love lists. I love lists. Everybody remembers Casey Kasem in American Top 40. Countdowns are awesome. One of my all-time favorite movies is High Fidelity, starring John Cusack and Jack Black. These guys all work in a record store and and to keep from bit getting bored during their work days, they randomly spout out lists for whatever the day's topic is. We're going to do something like that. I'm thinking either a top five or top ten list every episode. It just depends on what the topic is and how I feel that day. The topics and the answers will be chosen by you. So get on the Facebook page. I'll throw out a topic and you weigh in on your opinions. Pretty simple. Each podcast will be us going through and unwrapping them and finding out facts about each of our five or 10 answers. I will occasionally have guests, uh, subject matter experts, so forth to join in our discussion. So hopefully it'll be a lot of fun. That's the goal. Speaking of our Facebook page, this is a place for you to share your eighties memes, music videos, memories, vote on topics and whatever else you want. So just like the podcast, it will remain family-friendly, so no profanity, no politics, and no bullying or putting someone down because of their opinion. If someone thinks Men Without Hats was the greatest pop band of all time, you're entitled to your own opinion, as wrong as that might be. But I want this to be a fun place. We can all look forward to sharing memories and hanging out. So far, you guys are doing a great job at that. So there you have it. That's who we are and what we're doing. Now, here is our very first top five list. So our first topic of discussion on our first ever podcast is going to be, what is your favorite high school teen movie from the 80s? So these are movies that were, of course, made in the 80s about high school students, coming of age, all of the shenanigans that kids get into. And these are just priceless. So there's for, before we get to the actual countdown, there are several on here I wanted to mention that are some really cool movies that didn't quite get as many votes, but man, these are some good ones. So one of them, one of my all-time favorite sports movies, Vision Quest. If you haven't seen Vision Quest, check it out. Uh, if you like high school wrestling and really cool soundtracks, this is the movie for you. Last American Virgin, awesome movie, great soundtrack. Um, not a 
not really any star power at all in this movie, but it was a very, very good movie. Weird Science. I'm surprised Weird Science didn't get more votes than it did. Uh, classic John Hughes movie, Anthony Michael Hall, Robert Downey Jr. Um, they create a girl with a computer and shenanigans take place. So great stuff. Dirty Dancing got a few votes. That's a, that's a good classic movie. Uh, Got to like that one. The Outsiders. What can be said about The Outsiders? It hasn't already been said. This is a great movie. Uh, check out Outsiders if you ever get a chance. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Not really a huge fan of this movie, but uh, a lot of people are. Um, they're actually making a sequel. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure 3 or something like that. So... Keanu Reeves is going to get back into it, into the saddle and, and do, I don't know if he's Bill or Ted or Ted or Bill. I don't know which one he is, but uh, so you enjoy that one. Uh, fame about singing and dancing high schoolers. Not a big fan of it. Got some votes though. Better off dead. How can you not love better off dad dead? I want my $2. We've all said it. Maybe we didn't remember where movie it came from, but Better Off Dead got a couple of votes. Probably should have been a lot more. Goonies. Love Goonies. Um, that is uh, that is just classic 80s cinema right there. Steven Spielberg, great movie. Teen Wolf, Michael J. Fox. Never really cared much for this one either. Some people did. Good for you. Uh, Risky Business. I think we forget about how good Risky Business actually is. So if you ever get a chance, go back, see Tom Cruise. Uh, parents go out of town. He puts the Porsche in a lake. Got to get some money to get back. It's, it's just uh, good, good stuff. And the last one I want to talk about here is Valley Girl, Nicolas Cage. Um, this is a great movie, also with another great soundtrack. Um, I don't know what was going on with his voice, but he sounded like he's sucking helium the entire movie. I'm not really sure what that is, but it was a, it was a good movie. So if you get a chance to check it out. So now on with our countdown, we're going to go with the top five here, but uh, instead we're going to go with six because we actually had a tie in voting between like numbers uh, three and four. So we're getting six total here. So um, here we are on with the countdown. Number six. Number six, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Released in 1986, starring Matthew Broderick, Alan Ruck, Jennifer Grey, and Mia Sarah. The premise of the movie is Ferris Bueller, played perfectly by Matthew Broderick. He plays a suburban high school student who wants to play hooky for the day. He convinces his friend Cameron and his girlfriend Sloane to join him. Throughout the movie, they go all over Chicago, eating at fine restaurants, took in a baseball game, rode on a parade float, stole a Ferrari, and got into all sorts of mayhem, all the while avoiding his parents and the school principal. This is definitely an 80s classic. How many of us have ever said, Bueller, Bueller, while waiting to try to get a friend's attention? The characters and the delivery in this movie were pure gold. Even the lesser characters in this movie shined and made their marks during uh, their scenes that have stayed with us today. One of my favorite scenes, maybe one of my favorite favorite scenes of all time in any movie, is the interaction between Jennifer Grey and Charlie Sheen. As Jennifer, who plays uh, Ferris's sister Jeannie, gets put in jail. 
and she's sitting next to Charlie Sheen, and this is what went down. Drugs? Thank you, no, I'm straight. I meant, are you in here for drugs? Why are you here? Drugs. I don't know why I'm here. Why don't you go home? Why don't you put your thumb up your butt? Every single time I see that, I crack up. Uh, the funny, Another funny part is a few minutes after that, she's on the bench making out with him. And then she leaves. She's singing Donka Shane, just like her little brother did on the parade float. Pretty funny stuff. Uh, one thing that, that Ferris Bueller gave us that has lasted with us is the ending after the credits. So you know how like the Marvel movies, you stay after the credits. And there's always a special scene. Yeah, straight up stolen from Ferris Bueller. So every billion dollars that Disney makes off of those movies, they should give some back to Ferris. This film was directed by John Hughes, who happens to have four movies in today's countdown. One thing we love about 80s movies are the soundtracks. Uh, though there was no soundtrack commercially released for Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the songs were really great. They were mostly new wave tunes with songs by groups like Big Audio Dynamite, Dream Academy, and Sig Sig Sputnik. You probably haven't heard of most of those people, but the soundtrack was really awesome. Uh, the biggest, though, was from the famous parade scene where Ferris lip-synced to the Beatles' Twist and Shout. And thanks to this movie, it put Twist and Shout back on the U.S. charts, proving once again that the Beatles' music is timeless. Personally, I remember seeing this movie for the first time at the Eastland Six Theater. Okay, disclaimer here. I'm in Columbus, or Grove City, Ohio is where I live. Uh, suburb of Columbus, like everything... All of my points of reference of life of the 80s of my teenage years primarily came from Columbus. So you may hear some things being referenced throughout. Just go with it, okay? So I saw this movie for the first time at the Eastland Six Theater with a date. I'm not real sure she got it because I laughed a lot more than she did. And I may have cackled out loud when Jeannie told Charlie Sheen to put his thumb up his butt. And I think she kind of looked disgusted at me. I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure that was the only date I had with this girl. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. Also, personal fun fact. The teenage version of Rob always kind of thought of myself as more of a Ferris Bueller type guy. Always down for a good time. Got along with about everyone. No real enemies. Kind of a cool guy. A pretty awesome guy. But the reality is... I'm a little bit more like Barry Goldberg. So if you haven't watched, little plug here, if you haven't watched the TV show Goldbergs, you got to check it out. This family in suburban Philadelphia all takes place in the 80s, based loosely on true stories that the writer Adam Goldberg put together about his family. And the, the oldest son, Barry, is kind of a doofus. He's not quite as cool as he thinks he is. Yeah, I'm that guy. I can say that all these years later. Uh, you should know. You should be able to watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off on Netflix or a number of other streaming services or old VHS, DVD, etc. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a true '80s classic. Number five. Number five. Sixteen Candles, released in 1984, starring Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall. 
The premise of this movie is Samantha Baker, played by Molly Ringwald, was going through a hard time because her entire family forgot her 16th birthday. At the same time, she was dealing with her older sister's wedding, grandparents visiting from out of town and taking over her bedroom, pining over her high school crush, and being harassed by freshman Farmer Ted, played by Anthony Michael Hall, who is desperately trying to get her attention and affection. Oh, and how could I ever forget the Chinese foreign exchange student, Long Duck Dong. This is another John Hughes classic. Sixteen Candles is one comic bit after another, from Joan Kuzak in a neck brace trying to drink from a water fountain, to Farmer Ted being trapped inside a glass table, to a drunken Long Duck Dong falling out of a tree. All of the kids on the school bus played in a kazoo band. John Kuzak took a picture of Farmer Ted with a hot chick from school, to prove that it really happened, it only got a picture of his eye. Ugh. That Anthony Michael Hall dead painting to the camera. There's so many little subtleties in this movie. Every time I watch it, I find something new. This movie is pure genius. What's happening, hot stuff? The soundtrack... Uh, was available to purchase back when the movie was released, but it only had a few songs on it. There were actually 29 songs in the movie and one of the best soundtracks from 80s movies. Uh, if you visit our Facebook page, I put a link on there of 80s movie soundtracks of a playlist I put together on Apple Music. So you'll get this soundtrack plus a whole lot more if you subscribe to Apple Music. It's fairly cheap and you have access to just about any song you could ever imagine. So go there, check it out, along with lots of other stuff. So I was a late adapter to this movie. This was Molly Ringwald's first feature film. And from what I could tell, it was more of a girl movie. I couldn't have been more wrong. I watched it about a year or so after it came out at a friend's house. We probably got it at Video Pursuit or someplace and rented the VHS tape. And we made sure to rewind it so we didn't get a $15 fee. So it's good stuff. So, uh, again, check it out uh, if you get a chance. Um, you can't currently watch it on Netflix, but you can get it on several other outlets to rent, such as Amazon Prime, Vudu, etc. 16 Candles is a must-watch for all of you 80s fans. Number four. Number four, Pretty in Pink, released in 1986, starring, guess who? Molly Ringwald, along with John Cryer and James Spader. Uh, The plot in this one is a little weak for my taste, as we have high school senior Andy, who is played by Molly Ringwald, who has fallen for Andrew McCarthy's character Blaine, No, he's not named after a major appliance. Uh, Blaine is a spoiled rich kid uh, from school. At the same time, Andy's friend Ducky, who is brilliantly played by John Cryer. You might know him as um, the younger brother on Two and a Half Men. Uh, His name's escaping me right now, but John Cryer was on there. Not Charlie Sheen, but the other guy. Uh, Anyhow, he has a major crush on Andy. Throughout the movie, we experience Andy's highs and lows, the oh-so-dramatic social pressures of high school, and it culminates at the prom where everyone gets closure to all of the characters. Even though this movie doesn't have the strongest plot, it is still a fun movie to watch. John Cryer steals the show as Ducky. Uh, without him, this movie is much less entertaining. You have to check him lip-syncing to Otis Redding, 
good, good stuff. Uh, another funny moment is the bouncer at the club they all go to is none other than Andrew Dice Clay, referred to in this movie as the Dice Man. Uh, James Spader also has a very memorable role as Steph, the leader of the rich kid clique. Uh, he plays such a great jerk that I think if there is a, a jerk hall of fame of jerks in 80s movies, James Spader's character Steph here would be in that hall of fame. He does such a good job at being a real jerk. This is yet another John Hughes film. Uh, and to me, he would be in the Mount Rushmore of 80s influences. Uh, there are so many movies he was part of in the 80s and not just the teen films either. He directed Trains, Planes, Automobiles. Christmas Vacation, Home Alone, and lots and lots and lots of others. He did a lot to help shape 80s pop culture, uh, rippling effects that we still experience today in film and uh, how soundtracks are made, etc. This movie, uh, I kind of liked it when it came out, but to me it has not aged real well. Some of the characters seem sort of flimsy. Molly Ringwald is sort of angsty. And kind of uh, feel sorry for me, kind of not really feeling that whole thing. And quite honestly, and I'll probably refer to this in the future because he popped up so much in 80s movies. Andrew McCarthy, maybe the worst actor to have ever earned a paycheck. He is terrible. You got to check out some of the scenes when he's having conversations and being overdramatic. He does the stupid things where he where he widens his eyes a little bit. And he just, he, he looks stupid. But anyway, enough of that. Uh, on with the um, soundtrack aspect of this movie, because we love soundtracks so much around here. Uh, Nick Kershaw in excess and Jesse Johnson from the time, who sounds identical to Prince here, uh, all had movies in the soundtrack. The big song was at the close of the movie during the prom scene with a massive hit, If You Leave, by... OMD, otherwise known as Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Uh, I do find myself playing this soundtrack from from time to time as it aged a lot better than this movie has. Uh, Again, not a bad movie. Uh, For nostalgic purposes, you might want to check it out. It's available just about everywhere, but it is not on Netflix. Definitely an 80s keeper, though, so you should try to check it out. Number three. The number three movie is... Footloose, released in 1984, starring Kevin Baker, Laurie Singer, Chris Penn, Sarah Jessica Parker, and John Lithgow. Uh, This is a classic tale of teenage rebellion and repression, features a delightful combination of dance choreography and realistic and touching performances. When teenager Ren McCormick and his family move from big city Chicago to the small town of Beaumont, he's in for a real case of culture shock. Though he tries hard to fit in, the streetwise Ren can't quite believe he's living in a place where rock music and dancing are illegal. However, there is one small pleasure. Ariel Moore, a troubled girl with a jealous boyfriend and a Bible-thumping minister for a father who is responsible for keeping the town dance-free. Ren and his classmates want to do away with this ordinance, especially since the senior prom is around the corner, but only Ren has the courage to initiate a battle to abolish the outmoded band and revitalize the spirit of the repressed townspeople. If you simply go by the premise of this movie, it might sound like a Saturday Night Live skit. Kid booze into town where you ain't allowed to dance. But daggone it, this movie is awesome. It very much feels like 1984 to me. Uh, Kevin Bacon does an awesome job as 
Wren and his interaction with the other characters in the movie, from the preacher to the local police to his backwards uncle to his new friends. It makes you feel like you're in Beaumont as a keen observer of all that is going on. Uh, wonderfully cast and definitely one of the top movies of the 80s. So I first saw this at the Lowe's Theater in Southland Mall. And the girl I was dating at the time, uh, we went together to see this um, shortly after the movie came out. We both loved it. And I remember going down to the other end of the mall to the Gold Circle and buying the soundtrack on cassette so I could listen to it right away as soon as the movie was over. At least that's how I remember it. I know I had the soundtrack. I'm pretty sure I went after the movie, but it's been 36 years ago, so anything could have happened back then. But um, it this this is a very, very fun movie to watch. Just the scenery, the, the small town feel. Uh, if you've ever been in a small town, a lot of attitudes are, are very similar. They really don't like outsiders. They kind of back in time a little bit. They just, you know, they, they don't like progress. Um, I know a lot of things have changed since back then, but back in the 80s, uh, this was a typical small town, and this is kind of what uh, what was going on. So speaking of soundtracks, to me, this is the best soundtrack of the 80s and one of the best ever. One unique thing about the soundtrack to this film was that they did something very new when they put the music to this movie together. Before so- Footloose, most soundtracks were throwaway songs or songs record companies provided to the movie producers to promote certain artists. For Footloose, the songwriters and artists actually watched the movie and they were tasked to create songs around the movie. Now, you got to think, this is the MTV generation. Uh, MTV had been out a couple years, gaining a lot of momentum. Um, if you wanted to make it in music, you had to be on MTV. So, they created videos and everything from this movie um, based on how these artists interpreted these scenes and almost created music videos within themselves. Um, this was a very new at the time. And I think that's pretty much how movies are done today is this way. But uh, the songwriters would sit, watch the movie and then write the songs and perform them. Uh, my favorite song from the movie was the girl gets around by Sammy Hagar uh, it may not be one that you think of right away because we all know Footloose and let's hear it for the boy and prom theme from Grove City High School 1984 class was almost paradise. So that came from Footloose. Uh, so those are the ones you think of. But the girl gets around great rock and tune. This is before Van Hagar. Um, very, very great song. Great soundtrack. I listened to it today and it still sounds as fresh as it did the day i unwrapped the cellophane from that cassette uh since the movie came out it has also been a big hit on broadway as well as a remake that was done in night in 2011 of course not as good as the original it wasn't horrible and definitely worth checking out if you're a fan of the original of course you're going to compare and you're not going to like it as good as the 1984 version but kind of seeing what they did with it not too bad uh if you want to watch footloose today it is available on Several streaming services, but not on Netflix. If you've never watched Footloose, go check it out. Number two. Number two, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Released in 1982, starring Sean Penn, Phoebe Cates, Jennifer Jason Lee, Judge Reinhold, Brian Backer, and Robert Romanus. Uh, you can even spot a young Nicolas Cage, Anthony Edwards, and Eric Stoltz in some of their first movie roles. 
Based on the book of the same name, written by Cameron Crowe, this movie follows a group of high school students growing up in Southern California, and it's loosely based on the real-life adventures of students in a high school where Cameron Crowe actually went undercover to write the book. He studied social norms, fashion, listened to conversations, etc., and came up with this great book, which in turn became an awesome movie. Uh, Stacey Hamilton and Mark Ratner are looking for a love interest and are helped along by their older classmates, Linda Barrett and Mike Damone, respectively. Amidst all of the other characters, we are introduced to Jeff Spicoli, a perpetually stoned surfer dude who faces off with a resolute Mr. Hand who is convinced that everyone is on dope. This would be the one I would vote for as best movie of the 80s, regardless of genre. This movie, to me, is like an 80s time capsule. The backdrop takes place at Ridgemont High School, but just as pivotal to the school is where all the action is, the mall. Whether it's at Perry's Pizza or the record store or the movie theater, the mall helps us navigate through the movie. If you were a teenager in the 80s, you knew how vital the shopping mall was. As a teenager myself, I spent a lot of time at the mall, whether it was at Eastland or Westland. This was a place where we bought our music, discovered the latest fashions, and the best food selections that you could ever ask for while walking through the mall and shopping. I miss the shopping mall. I miss going to Eastland, going to Westland, um, people watching the whole thing. Um, it is a bygone era. This is something we don't see anymore. Uh, so uh, seeing uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and looking at the imagery of these shopping malls of uh, the people, the, the way they were dressed, the way they acted like this to me is the eighties. Like that's my eighties, eighties. I remember they did such a good job with all of this, but at the same time, um, another great aspect of that movie, I think is not only, you know, the imagery, but these characters. So even though Sean Penn is billed as the main star of the movie, uh, Stacy, Linda, Damone, Ratner, and Brad were all just as important to the movie. These characters felt real and they felt like people you would hang out with and, and people you would just know people you would see in the hall at school. Like this felt like those kind of people. So let's uh, listen to some dating advice from Damone. Look, what do I say to her once we get in the car? No problem, Rat. What you need is my special five-point plan. Come on, Damone, I need real help here. What do you mean? Hey, men have died trying to obtain this valuable information, you know. But I'll give it to you for free. Okay, okay, what's your five-point plan? All right. Now pay attention. First of all, Rat, you never let on how much you like a girl. Oh, Debbie. Hi. Two, you always call the shots. Kiss me. You won't regret it. Now, three, act like wherever you are, that's the place to be. Isn't this great? Four, when ordering food, you find out what she wants, then order for the Baltica. It's a classy move. Now, the lady will have the linguine and white clam sauce and a Coke with no ice. And five, now, this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out. Whenever possible, put on side one of Led Zeppelin 4. Fun fact, right after that scene, um, 
Ratner is on his date with Stacy, and Led Zeppelin is playing, but it's Cashmere from the Physical Graffiti album, not Led Zeppelin 4, which song one would have been Black Dog. So either way, not on really any mixtapes I've made for dates. Just you know, throw it out there. Just be forewarned, as great as this movie is, um, uh, some of the language and themes are not real family-friendly. Uh, there also may be a certain famous swimming pool scene that you may want to fast-forward through. But the story is great, the characters are unforgettable, and the soundtrack is awesome as well. Uh, speaking of the soundtrack, when they were putting together this movie, they originally wanted to use more of the current hits and artists of that time, of the time of release. Uh, they did not have a very large budget, so they had to rely on several stars that weren't particularly hip in 1982. Uh, at the time, Cameron Crowe was married to Nancy Wilson of Heart, so she was able to enlist some of her friends like uh, Jimmy Buffett, Don Henley, Jackson Brown, Stevie Nicks, Joe Walsh, etc., to put together songs for the soundtrack. Uh, they weren't able to get uh, bands like Men at Work or Rick Springfield that they were trying for, so they instead had to settle for some future Rock and Roll Hall of Famers instead. Uh, the result was songs that complement the movie perfectly. And when you hear those songs now, you immediately, you immediately associate the songs with the movie. Uh, again, another one of my favorite 80s soundtracks. Uh, I go back to it often and listen to it. And it is really, really held up well. Uh, also, another little fun tidbit. Nancy Wilson also makes a cameo in the movie. So when Brad goes up to uh, deliver the fish and chips in his pirate uniform, uh, the blonde in the convertible next to him that he's trying to flirt with, uh, that is Nancy Wilson. So a uh, fun little fact for you there. Uh, Fast Times at Richmond High is available on most streaming services, but not Netflix. Uh, kind of makes you wonder why you still have your Netflix subscription, doesn't it? There's really not much on there other than Stranger Things which is something we should probably discuss on a future uh, podcast. Um, things that were influenced by the 80s. That'll be a fun one. Um, so that's it. Uh, check out Fast Times Richmond High. If you haven't watched it or if you haven't watched it lately, just kind of be looking for that 80s feel. Uh, you'll get it all over the place. Great, great, great movie. Number one. And... This is probably no surprise to anyone. The number one movie. This has been long regarded as one of the greatest movies ever made, not just of the 80s, not just of teen movies, but any decade, any genre. Uh, number one here is The Breakfast Club, uh, released in 1985, starring Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, and Ali Sheedy. Uh, this actually uh, won in our voting uh, beating out Fast Times at Ridgemont High by a mere five votes. Beyond attending Shermer High School in Shermer, Illinois, Claire Standish, Andrew Clark, John Bender, Brian Johnson, and Allison Reynolds have little in common, and with the exception of Claire and Andrew, do not associate with each other in school. In the simplest and in their own terms, Claire is a princess, Andrew an athlete, John a criminal, Brian is a brain, and Allison is a basket case. But one other thing they do have in common is a nine-hour detention in the school library together on Saturday, March 24th, 1984, under the direction of Mr. Richard Vernon, supervising from his office across the hall. 
Each is required to write a minimum 1,000-word essay during that time about who they think they are. At the beginning of those nine hours, they, they were indeed planning on writing the essay. Uh, they probably would have wrote something close to what the world sees them as and what they have been brainwashed into believing of themselves. But based on their adventures during that nine hours, they may come to a different opinion of themselves and the other four. This is yet another John Hughes movie. Yes, that is four out of six of these movies are John Hughes movies. And coincidentally, one that he felt wasn't what it could have been. Uh, He originally wanted the movie to be two and a half hours, but the studio wanted it shorter. Some of the deleted scenes included a dream sequence, extended dialogue in the circle, and some other school staff characters. Uh, There is a full two and a half hour version of The Breakfast Club that does exist, but it has remained in in a safe where John Hughes' widow is the only person that has access to it, and she is not releasing it. But I would love to see that. I have seen this movie too many times to count. Like many of you, we have this entire movie memorized line by line. I can't say enough how impactful this movie has been to 80s pop culture, as this is the one movie almost everyone puts on the top of their 80s list. And by the way, today just happens to be the 35th anniversary of when The Breakfast Club was released in theaters. So... February 15th, 1985, Breakfast Club hit us, and all these years later, here we are celebrating it. Awesome movie. Hey, how come Andrew gets to get up? That's right. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. So, a couple of fun facts about this movie that you may or may not have noticed. Um, I have so many people I've watched this movie with, and we continue to pick things up. Uh, that we hadn't picked up before. But um, during the opening credits of the movie, there's a quote from the David Bowie song, Changes, that was actually suggested by Ali Sheedy. John Hughes loved the movie, loved the idea so much, and he just used it. So when you see those opening credits and the the screen explodes, uh, that was all Ali Sheedy's idea. So uh, good stuff. Also, during the opening credits, they show pictures of former students, uh, like the student of the year, man of the year, uh, one of the ones they show is uh, Carl the janitor. So, yeah, the class valedictorian or whatever he was uh, became the school janitor. So good for Carl. Uh, during the scene where they're all running uh, and trying not to be caught by Mr. Vernon, they run by a window and it is clearly dark outside. Uh, the movie takes place during the day. Don't know how they miss this one. Pretty clear. But if you look, you'll see it. Uh, one other thing I always notice in the movie is Allison, uh, played by Ali Sheedy. Uh, she's eating her Captain Crunch and Pixie Stick sandwich and is reading the liner notes to the Prince album 1999. So, you know, us nerds kind of pick up on that kind of stuff. Uh, this is another decent soundtrack. The songs uh, fit the movie uh, with songs by Simple Minds, Wang Chung, E.G. Daly, who, by the way, is also known as Elizabeth Daly, who played Dottie on Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh, the only song to get any kind of airplay was Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. Um, this song was turned down by Billy Idol, Brian Ferry, and The Pretenders before Chrissy Hine of The Pretenders, who was married to Jim Kerr of The Simple Minds at the time, uh, suggested that the producers go to 
uh, Jim Kerr and Simple Minds and have them record it. And they did. It was a massive hit. And you can still hear it on any 80s radio station today in regular rotation. So needless to say, uh, Billy Idol, Brian Ferry, probably kicking themselves. They could have made a whole lot more money uh, had they just recorded that song. Uh, So there is not enough time to totally dissect this movie. The one takeaway is that this movie is a good lesson for us to learn today, as we all have differences, but if we try hard enough, we can find common ground. So be sure to check out The Breakfast Club on just about any streaming service, as it is a must-watch for all 80s fans. Well, guys, uh, that wraps it up for this week. I wanted to thank all of you for uh, all your support on the uh, Facebook page and for tuning into this podcast. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'll try to do this every week, maybe every other week. I don't know, but I'll keep doing podcasts until uh, you know I get tired of it or people don't want to hear them. So uh, thank you again for, for joining and everything. So until then, uh, you guys have an awesome week, and we're going to uh, close out here, as promised, with 80s by Killing Joke. See you next time. still here it's over go home go